This is Meditation Inspiration. I'm your host, mindfulness meditation teacher Katie Austin, and this podcast is here to inspire you to either start a meditation practice or to keep one going. I've got real life stories from meditators from around the world to inspire you with your practice. I'm so happy to have you here. Hi, everybody. Welcome to episode 11 of the podcast. And I'm doing it a little bit differently today. I normally record these little bits kind of after the interview. I'm going to let him introduce himself. So, hello. <laughs> Good morning. <laughs> hello, Paolo. Hello, Katie. So, Hi. yeah, hello. So, I'm, I'm Paolo Karat and... Yeah, my I, I identify as he, if um, if that helps. And I'm based in uh, northeast Derbyshire, and I live on a farm, which is lovely. Uh, I can see the fields as we speak, uh, and that's very grounding. Uh, I teach um, law at Nottingham Trent University, um, and. I also teach mindfulness and I research mindfulness in Nottingham Trent University increasingly. That has become my, you know, my latest thing on the back of having done a master's at Bangor in the psychology of mindfulness, I suppose I would call it now. Um, and uh, and I teach mindfulness. Um, I tend to teach in a, a corporate context. So I do a lot of work with primary care uh, practitioners and a lot of work with lawyers because that's my background so I'm a solicitor by by background so that's me Ab. <laughs> oh thank you thanks Paolo um so I should probably say that Paolo and I met at Bangor University in yeah. our first year quite a what was that maybe four years ago now so that was yes. 20 1920 wasn't it because it wow. was the academic year leading into covid yes gosh uh, what a time eh? yeah it was it was yeah and um yeah so it's lovely to to see you and catch up we see kind of like we have some little group chats between between us don't we and kind of but we haven't actually seen each other and had a proper catch-up for quite a while so this is a real treat it is a real treat I'm still I'm kind of still connecting with how you know what a what a pleasure and a privilege it is to have this time it's like it's happening I'm talking to you yeah yay (laughs) (laughs) I'm so grateful that yeah we found the time and it's I'm just so fascinated to hear that you are now doing research as well. And I've got so many questions just from what you said. Um, But um, it would be great to start, maybe kind of go back a little bit first. Mm, mm. Start from the beginning, as it were, of your first connections with mindfulness. And I'd love to hear, if you're happy to share, what was it that first inspired you? to practice mindfulness yeah um i mean i i can sort of give a very sort of specific um uh reason a very sort of specific time stamp as well because um i um i run a business which uh the short version of this is that i overreached um and uh, i had a what I think we're still allowed to call a nervous breakdown. I'm sure there are some, you know, I'm sure somehow that's no longer appropriate to say, but it feels like the right way to describe it. You know, I, I, uh, I just, I burnt out. Um, I um, developed really acute and chronic levels of anxiety, uh, depression, and I just imploded. And, um, which involved staying for a couple of months in a psychiatric um, uh, unit. Uh, so severe was uh, my 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 uh, mental health crisis. Uh, but that happened quite late 
in my life. You know, I was like 42. And before then, I'm I'm not ashamed to say it. It's not it's not, not I'm ashamed to say it, but I probably would have been one of these people that if you had said before I had my breakdown, you know, would you consider doing, you know, mindfulness meditation? I'd have probably said, Are you joking? Why would I why would I do that? Mm-hmm. That's just like a waste of time. Why I haven't got time. I haven't got time to sit on my bum and meditate. That's just ridiculous. I'm too busy. Um, and it was my therapist who first signposted me uh, to mindfulness meditation. Um, and to be honest, it was a, a disaster because I was still a bit too depressed. Mm. Um, and I found that sitting in the way that we sometimes do just allowed my my busy head with my intrusive thoughts um to have even more space (laughs) and I was a very unskilled practitioner you know all the good stuff about you know just noticing (laughs) noticing what's there and allowing it to be wasn't part of what I had been trained to kind of recognize and it just was too much but she um uh, Rachel um uh, her name is and uh, I now she's one of my colleagues now actually on my research team um, at Nottingham Trent. Uh, Rachel, my therapist, said, well, okay, so sitting is obviously not working, but have you tried uh, movement? Uh, have you tried Tai Chi? Uh, <laughs> and I hadn't. Um, and so I did. And I have to say that was that was it. That was that was the moment. That was the thing that began a real journey of exploration with this wonderful thing we call mindfulness. Um, and that was, I guess, 2017. Yeah, 2017. And then over the next couple of years, I, it, it just became increasingly important for me. Um, I became increasingly interested in it. Um, and that led me to do my, my master's and my teacher training. It's mm. fascinating that Tai, so tai Chi was kind of a, a real doorway for you into mindfulness yeah yeah once I kind of and I sort of conscious that there are different styles of tai chi and and Mm -hmm. you know so so my style was you know um uh, yang style tai chi and and I really only ever got to grips with 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 the first form you know Mm -hmm. really quite basic stuff once I actually learned how to do the form it was like somebody just opened up this concept of mindfulness and mindful movement. Because before mm. then, it was all very effortful. And, you know, I, I was learning, you know, the movements and, and I, I it, it didn't feel like mindfulness. But then it became mindfulness, the more flow I could guess, get from it. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, within Tai Chi, often you do some Qigong. Um, and, and Qigong was a real kind of, oh, this is good. You know, this is really good. Um, and I, and I could really notice how that uh, helped me to connect with my breathing, you know, and Mm -hmm. yeah. And it was, so it's from there, it was from there that I I kind of then explored uh, meditation and it was really, it was probably, if I'm being honest, it was probably only the, the push that banger and my masters gave me Mm -hmm. uh, to really get into the weeds of sitting practice Mm -hmm. that 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 changed my relationship with with meditation as opposed to mindful movement for me for me it was all about movement Mm -hmm. um and i learned that it was also about sitting um and that that took a while for me to get comfortable with that yeah well that's that's really I mean it's it's very I've heard it many times before that things like yoga as well can be that gateway into the more stiller practices as well and what do you think it was about the movement that was supportive for you uh I suppose um I mean I'm a very uh I mean I'm a very sort of kinetic person you know I do mm-hmm. you know I do tend to move a lot um you know quite sort of 
quite busy, mm-hmm. you know, by by nature. Um, and I think there was something about movement that appealed. I think there was something about movement that felt pur- felt purposeful. Mm-hmm. And, and this is like, um, and this is increasingly part of my teaching, noticing how many of my participants, students, delegates, call them what you will, just don't necessarily connect that meditation is purposeful, you mm-hmm. know, where it were, you know, whereas mm-hmm. it so is, mm-hmm. but, but movement feels purposeful. It's like I'm doing something. Yeah. Uh, and I think I like that. I like the sense that I was doing something. There was a, you know, and, and, I, and I had something to focus on, of course, you know, it's like if you're doing Tai Chi or Qigong um, or in my case, I developed my mindful walking practice. Mm-hmm. I mean, and that was a, a journey in itself. Just having these physical um, anchors and supports mm-hmm. to, to actually keep me grounded and connected in my in my practicing was Mm -hmm. really important and you know I don't know how you find it with with the people that you teach but that's often what they say it's like oh yeah I I can do this because yeah yeah, I've got something to focus on where I really struggle is I'm sitting Mm -hmm. you know and it's like and and I'm I'm looking around and I'm sort of looking at my watch and I I, I can't sit I can't sit Mm -hmm. um so yeah yeah it's yeah it's definitely something that on many many of my participants it's kind of yeah some people it's I mean it's always different isn't it but there's definitely a a certain people that really you know we get to the part of the eight-week course where we bring in movement and it's like a little light bulb goes off for some people it's like oh this this clicks in some way for me this feels really helpful for what I need right now and to yeah it's like a bridge into is it kind of like a it's like a bridge into non-doing that's a little bit more gentle in some ways than just being still isn't it yeah and, yeah. yeah and I, I like, I like sense. it does make sense I like that expression I like that form of words a bridge into non-doing because there is still doing but yeah mm. you know but actually the thing that we're doing when we're doing mindful movement in a sense it doesn't have like a, a, a an end goal it's it's mm-hmm. like it's you're doing it because you're doing it you're yeah. you know you're that's that's it you know it's not because by the end of it you'll have chucked out 30 emails and you know it's just <laughs> like you're doing it because you're doing it and yeah. you're being it um mm-hmm. so yeah I like that idea that it's a bridge into non-doing and and it surprises me that I remember when we were at Bangor, I think, it, well, it must have been the first weekend or so because we were still physically together as a cohort. Mm-hmm. And I remember one of our uh, course tutors just asked a question to the room. So there must have been, what, about 40 of us. Mm-hmm. And they said, look, you know, on this topic of like preferences, you know, how many of you prefer movement to sitting? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I was expecting everybody to put their hand up and yet only about half of us put our hands up mm. and that was really interesting for me because it made me aware of my own biases yes you know and 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 that's really helpful for me in my teaching as well because mm-hmm. you know I think you've got to check in with your own just because mindful movement was my you know bridge into not doing there is the possibility that others don't need that bridge yeah <laughs> you know they've got and, a different bridge <laughs> they've got a different bridge you know or they're over the they're potentially over the other side already although you know sadly you know it's it that that's that's quite unusual isn't it to yeah. to, to, to find a, a participant who's kind of there because if they are already there they probably don't need the eight-week mm. course <laughs> but, uh, yeah it's um yeah, I mean, just just for a little background that when yeah, you when you said we were physically in person, it was because I think it was about we. So the Bangor Mass Masters program is five weekends across the year over several years, and when we started, it was pre-COVID times, wasn't mm, it? And it was. 
we went up for the for a weekend in October, a weekend in November, a weekend in January. January. And I think, I and think it was... was it January when we we were we got nearly we didn't actually get there. Was it that weekend or it was it was either that one or the one after, wasn't it? It was the, it March was the one weekend. after. Mm. Yeah, March didn't happen, did yeah. it? Yeah. Because they basically called the lockdown as we I remember traveling up to yeah. to Wales. Yeah. I stopped right. in Cardiff with my my sister and um because Bangor is right up at the top corner mm. of Wales for anyone who doesn't know. Top left corner. And um yeah, and I remember just getting getting a message. Um I don't know whether the first lockdown had actually taken force, but I remember getting a message that from Bangor saying we're not going to go ahead because of what's going on with with the yeah, it was very much real time, wasn't the it? The virus, yeah. Mm. And so we were all online after that for the rest of mm. masters, actually. Mm. For us, anyway. Mm. I mean, I didn't actually end up completing the masters. I I kind of stopped at the. At the thesis and came out with the postgraduate diploma and went on the, yeah. on the mindfulness network pathway instead um but yeah you we were on the same pathway weren't we and you, you yeah, well. finished your thesis I did um, yeah yeah, yeah. We, uh, oh. yes I did <laughs> I've still got the scars to prove it as well <laughs> uh. yeah the paradox of of studying in an academic world the the um yeah, something like mindfulness was always interesting for me. <laughs> yeah, and, th- and that's a riddle that, yeah, where I think, yeah, it's a riddle. Mm-hmm. A, a not easily solvable riddle. No, but I think it's, well, incredibly, incredibly valuable. And um, and I, got, I know I definitely got a, a, an awful lot from those those two years at Bangor. And um, anyway, mm. I um I wonder what so so you so you had connected with Tai Chi, mm. and and then and then at kind of at what point did you do an eight week course? At what point was that? Was that before the kind of connection with Tai Chi, or was that afterwards? No, it was it was afterwards. So uh, for the best part of two years, I mm. I I had a mindfulness practice which pretty much looked like um walking tai chi uh qigong mm-hmm. uh that was my mindfulness practice and you know looking back on it it was a it was a a rich practice it, it helped me transition from uh, depression to wellness you know wow. mm-hmm. um and 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 actually in terms of the eight week course it was it was provoked doing the eight-week course was provoked by kind of like the application for the master's program because it was like you need to have done one (laughs) you know pretty much and I was like oh really oh and Mm -hmm. which sounds in a way very naive you know just kind of like be pitching up wanting to do a master's program and in a sense not having really understood not knowing very much if at all about these eight-week courses you know mm-hmm. uh and so yeah so I did an eight-week course really as a kind of like a a precursor uh, mm-hmm. to attending Bangor um so yeah uh, and again uh, slightly unusually perhaps because of the timings uh, I didn't have much time to do an eight-week course and I ended up doing a one-to-one eight-week course wow. um, via Zoom with um, uh, Judith Salisbury. Wow. Uh, she's, yeah. She's a very, yeah, She. I only know her because she's on, <laughs> listen to her recordings on the bank website. Absolutely. A um, legend. She, she is. She's one of the, yeah, she's one of the pioneers. And yeah. uh, so that was a privilege, wow. um, you know, being being guided by her um mm-hmm. so that was it that was my route into it um mm-hmm. um and then they taught me how to teach it you <laughs> was, was like right you've, you've attended the course now let's you know let's learn how to teach it <laughs> that's fab but there's obviously there was you know there was something in and I, that's what I've loved about the conversations I've had on this 
podcast is that there are so many it's not just one way there isn't just one way into practicing mindfulness and no. and I think it was maybe my teacher Vicky I interviewed on the last project and yeah she used this this phrase of there's just so many doorways and I loved that mm. um, and and for you the mindful movement was really what grabbed you and like there's it, something in this that I want to yeah. be able to share whether it was yeah. teaching at first was your was did did you want to teach when you started yeah. the masters or was it, it uh, yeah the... no I I did um because my sort of my my professional background has you know I mean I started teaching at university level in 2002 having mm-hmm. left private practice as a solicitor um so sort of teaching is almost like my default mm-hmm. um you know, I learn about stuff often because I want to teach it, you know, yeah. and teaching becomes the a vehicle for the learning. You know, this yes. is this has been part of my dynamic for 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 so long. Um so I knew that I wanted to teach this in some way. Mm-hmm. I didn't, if I'm being honest, think that I would be ultimately teaching um the eight-week course on a regular basis. Mm-hmm. I think my sense was that mindfulness teaching was probably going to at some point become uh, a part of what I do in kind of my corporate space because um you know I, I qualified as like a, a life and executive coach like 2004 I got a um, a diploma in that and I used to do that a lot in a, a law context so working with mm-hmm. senior lawyers and teams um so I know so it was almost like I you know, there is something that I can do with this stuff. I definitely wanted to share it, mm-hmm. um, I, I, you know, because I, f- I felt these tremendous benefits um, and I wanted to really understand it, which I know is kind of quite cognitive. And, you know, in the Eastern tradition, it's like, well, if you feel the benefit, you feel the benefit. Why do you have to like, you know, why do you have to understand it? Mm-hmm. You know, what's that about? you know, can't you just feel it and accept it? And, and, and the honest answer is no, I couldn't, you know, it's like mm-hmm. I, I needed that. And it's no surprise. I think that I opted for the master's route. You know, yeah. I am, I am academic by, by nature, by background. And mm-hmm. I wanted to, to know, I wanted to study it. I wanted to be able to say to people, you know, not just this is what we do, but I suppose this is why, yes we, 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 this is mm-hmm. why we do it and I wanted something that began as my own authentic story mm-hmm. uh, and I'm very present my my story it's very rare that I teach and some version of my route to mindfulness doesn't come out you know it's very rare for me to do any teaching and for it not to come out like you mm-hmm. know anxiety depression breakdown you know signposting to mindfulness so um yeah I knew I wanted to teach it um and again I don't know maybe maybe there's a risk that I'm sort of collecting uh, different modalities but I was so struck as well by psychotherapy that I'm qualifying psychotherapist as well um hopefully sometime in the new year um so and and again I mean you know I've, I've become increasingly interested in the kind of the relationship between mindfulness and, and therapy you know yeah um so uh, i mean for example with, with, with trauma work that's that's really interesting how as i'm skilling up in terms of holding people with with experience of trauma um you know suddenly we have all this yeah and again to use some jargon the somatic kind of emphasis you know kind of like understanding feeling what's happening in the body yes. you know like concepts of grounding and, and sort of breathing as a as a way of grounding in the here and now you know kind of recognizing that we're here we're not there back with our trauma you know so and, and I'm I'm sort of learning this stuff thinking well I can do that yeah. <laughs> because that's that's what I teach when I when I'm teaching mindfulness um, yeah. so yeah yeah well that's fascinating it's um and you know following what really lights us up and interests us is and is always just such a joyful thing and I think that 
that joy gets shared like to be able to share that with this bring the psychotherapy and as that's obviously has helped you so much in your own personal life as well and the combination of mindfulness and psychotherapy um together i i mean it fascinates me as well that yeah how you know the especially the one-on-one work and how how we can bring the mindfulness into the one-on-one as well as the groups yes you know it's not just again it's not just one way is there and for some people that's going to be really really valuable yeah uh, uh yeah and i think your your it's there's not just one way observation i think is it is is so on point and i think it's worth no matter what where because i imagine that you know many of the people listening maybe um you know mindfulness teachers maybe early career mindfulness teachers and uh, and i when i and i still consider myself to be an early you know stage mm-hmm. mind, my uh, mindfulness teacher but it's it's taken me quite a while to kind of trust the the way the way that i have been taught to teach is really important but but there are other ways to teach this stuff that we do, um, you know, and I'm increasingly comfortable with that. You know, it's like the almost like the the yoke, <laughs> this heavy yoke of, you know, the eight week course mm-hmm. model, you know, mm-hmm. as wonderful as it is. It's like I've been carrying this heavy yoke for, you know a good couple of years now you know and it's like mm-hmm. do you know what i think i i think i can lift it off now i can you know how about i do teach a six-week course which by the mm-hmm. way i'm doing it at, at nottingham trent hopefully starting next week actually um yeah what if i teach a six-week course you know what if i teach it this way what mm-hmm. if i do you know a workshop you know what if i teach it like and i'm just now beginning to get the kind of that that confidence yes to teach my to teach my way you know yeah being respectful of the eight-week curriculum and ethos on the one hand whilst also being authentic to me and my passions and the -hmm. way that I want to do this so yeah 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 Yeah. keeping evolving it and in the way that works for you and yeah and it's just I mean it it is such a gift to have the eight-week course as an as such a solid foundation particularly for teaching and particularly with the the evidence base but then is this you get to this point and Mm. you know okay there might be some other ways that there is there you know there are other ways and that's I I would be fascinated to hear how the six week the six week course goes and yeah and and um it's just it it's all really fascinating sounds exciting well, it, I, and I'm really enjoying it, and 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 in a way, the six week course is an example of, if you like, almost a sense of necessity of looking at different ways of approaching this stuff. Because yeah, um, last academic year and the year before that, I did teach eight week mm-hmm. courses based on MBSR and MBCT to undergrads, mm-hmm. but you know. Uh, take up initial take up was was good but the attrition rate was horrible mm-hmm. um you know and, and and there was a real sense from what the students were saying that you know those that kind of those that did it you know many of them had a life-changing experience you know because it is one of those courses isn't it you know it's yeah it has that capacity to be life-changing mm-hmm. um but what about the 25 students that didn't make it beyond you know mm-hmm. week two and three because it was just it was too much for them you know and so yeah. so finding peace in a frantic world yes. is the course that I've chosen you know I've uh, chosen for the undergrads and I note I mean as I was doing you know my kind of uh, research into it I noted that actually Mark Williams and his colleagues created it for undergraduates really yeah oh, that's, wow. that's, that's that's how it <laughs> That's how it started. And I was like, oh, okay then. Perfect. So it's, it's, it started as an undergraduate intervention. Wow. Uh, and then became mm-hmm. you know, a, a course for the general population and yeah. a best-selling book and all the rest of it. But it began, it began as a, 
as a more accessible mm-hmm. um you know version of what we do for undergraduate students so that's good enough for me yeah and I mean I for anyone who's been listening to the podcast for a while I mean I've mentioned the finding peace in a frantic world book a mm-hmm. few times because that was my first introduction to mindfulness was it yeah as a a kind of a twin mid-20s 20 year old who was maybe a few years a couple of years out of university and was traveling and it wasn't in one place for long enough to, yeah. to find an eight-week course and I think I would have really struggled yeah. with the place I was in my life with with an eight-week course at that time and actually that the finding peace in a frantic world with shorter practices and the was just was the ideal gateway in for me it was um yeah. And then from there, later on, yeah, I the 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 eight week course was just a beautiful deepening for me of that practice I'd started to cultivate on my own with that book. And Amazing. so, I really, um, I think it's a wonderful thing to to offer to to grad to post to undergrads. Um, with with all that they've got happening in their lives, you know, absolutely, and all the pressures of of studying and social lives, and and you know, if you're <laughs> you're if you're especially if you're eighteen, nineteen, twenty as well, and all that that brings, you know, those transition times of life, and I think it's um it's it'll have yeah, I'll be really really fascinated to hear how that goes. Well, I'll, yeah, well, I'll, I'll I will let you know. And one thing mm. that I I was very clear having taught. Um, uh, having taught mindfulness to students in in previous academic years, and uh, the one thing that was very clear was, look, just don't schedule it for Wednesday because Wednesday is 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 like the student night out. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, yeah, but yes. I'm I'm thinking of scheduling the class for like five p.m. Yeah, but we've got to get ready. Yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Yeah, know your crowd. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. That was our yeah, that was our student night out as well at university Wednesdays. Yeah, at Loughborough. Oh gosh, yeah, not far uh, from Nottingham actually. I was no, there. no, my 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 son yeah. is at Loughborough. Yeah, oh, doing... amazing. Yeah, it's one. It's a great. It's a great uni. Great yeah. uni. No, he's having yeah. a good time. Amazing. And how is it? Um, kind of bringing. Uh, how has it been? bringing mindfulness into the space of law oh That's a huge question but i just am no, so a, fascinated to hear it's, it's a really good question because it opens up i think a lot of richness so uh i mean i might start with my uh sort of my dissertation topic which was mm. uh perceptions of mindfulness in the uk legal sector wow and so i did a couple of focus groups uh, um, and in essence, what appears, well, what appeared to emerge in my research was a lot of kind of distrust, a lot of, you know, dismissal, a lot of um, skepticism, like mm. aggressive skepticism, a lot of, yeah, but it's all is kind of like woo woo. You know, it's 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 incense, it's bells, it's, you know, and all very kind of couched in very pejorative terms. The language wasn't kind mm-hmm. to mindfulness, you know, in terms of what was coming through in my data. Um, all this stuff that we were, you know, um, speaking about earlier about sitting being a waste of time, you know. Now, I don't think it's exclusively law, but I think mm-hmm. I think lawyers, you know, people may not appreciate that if you're a practicing lawyer, the, the, the core business model is that they do charge by the hour, you know, and not only that, but they charge by six minute units. So an hour is divided wow. into, into 10 and there's, you know, there are these six minute units. And so effectively, the world of a lawyer is to think, well, if even if you're only asking me to do a 15 minute sit that's three time recording units that you're asking me to sacrifice you know Mm -hmm. so there is this real sense in which whatever it is that you think you're bringing with this mindfulness you know do it quickly (laughs) you know (laughs) make it like make it feel 
really relevant from mm-hmm. the start because if you think that in this way that some you know that that we are that we do in mindfulness teaching that we we create space mm-hmm. and time for stuff to emerge yeah you no know? you if you do that you're with a legal crowd you're kind of asking for trouble honestly mm-hmm. you're asking for trouble because they're not going to give you that space no. they're not going to give you that time and you know in conjunction with my uh mindfulness uh teaching supervisor ed halliwell um you know we've explored this and how in my law sector mindfulness teaching i hit them hard with theory yes i go i i, I go in hard with theory and within the theory i go in hard with neuroscience yeah, because it's like even a room full of skeptical lawyers mm-hmm. with all of these misconceptions, preconceptions, prejudices actually about what mindfulness is. If you kind of hit them hard with the evidence from the neuroscience, it, in my experience, it really grabs their attention. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and my exit feedback for my courses confirms that. It's like one of the things we like about the way that you taught us is that you hit us with the theory yeah that's what got us in the room that's what made us that's what made us present Mm. you know and then on the back of that I was more inclined to give this the benefit of the doubt Mm -hmm. so that's how I find it plays out yeah and again you know knowing your crowd and meeting people where they are at is is such a is, is is key it, it it is key and i think this is something that as a teaching community we i think we do well to keep in contact with is that we're kind of on this experiential journey aren't we with for example mm-hmm. our eight-week course and and we're holding our participants mm-hmm. you know in in a way of being in relation to that course and all the modeling that we do you know mm-hmm. in terms of you know how we are as teachers and and that's wonderful stuff mm-hmm. but but just be careful that you're not losing people along the way yeah you know? yeah because you because you, you might be you just might be and the yeah. way that you want the way that we kind of want people to be by the end <laughs> it may not be very clear to them at the beginning <laughs> that that's worth you know that, that that's the journey Mm-hmm. That, that they want to travel actually you know it's like well just just tell me why i should be doing this stuff tell me tell me yeah. tell me tell me tell me and we're mm-hmm. like oh but it's more experiential i can't you know it's not my job to tell it's my job to see what emerges and it's like yes of course but but listen to your audience yes mm. yeah. i wonder what is your what's your one of your favorite um pieces of neuroscience um <laughs> well uh, or yeah or research I, or theory that you like to offer that really hits people yeah well what what i tend to do um so often um certainly if i'm doing kind of like a, a classroom based um intervention of some kind um i i've i've kind of got a slide where i single out you know four regions of the brain you know so the amygdala the prefrontal mm-hmm. cortex uh, the insula and the hippocampus mm-hmm. and without actually you know giving references to papers I, I i just use those four regions of the brain mm-hmm. you know to talk about how we know because it's there in the literature you know we've got we've got the the, the neuroscientific evidence we've got the fmri you know mm-hmm. imagery we've got the eeg readings that show how our brains behave and how they you know uh, shape shift Mm -hmm. and it's extraordinary you know and and if you can show like you know often with these neuroscience papers is i think i think you know katie Mm -hmm. like often you'll be given a before and after you know fmri uh you know um scan image Mm-hmm. You know, with, with different areas of the brain, kind of like, you know, with different colors and different shapes. And it's like, mm-hmm. wow. And you, mm-hmm. you so I, I tend to use those four key areas of the brain mm-hmm. to talk about what it is that mindfulness does to help mm-hmm. regulate those areas of the brain. Because mm-hmm. those are the ones that keep 
cropping up in terms of our reactivity you know mm-hmm. so so that yeah i mean so the amygdala is responsible for fight flight flop so mm-hmm. if we if we have something that can help us regulate that then that's really good turns yeah. out mindfulness helps us regulate the amygdala yeah yes. likewise the pfc yeah it become it gets thicker you know if we practice mm-hmm. mindfulness and it's like this is it's not complicated stuff it's not complex mm-hmm. um it's very direct and i think people are pers- they're, they're very quickly persuaded by it mm-hmm. yeah you know they're very quickly persuaded by it yeah so why not see that physical that you know the physical evidence of what practicing mindfulness does in our brain is is very um persuade- yeah i mean it's there's something incredibly um I don't know what the yeah I don't know if persuasive is the word that I'm looking for but it really draws you in doesn't it? oh okay then yeah. it does and it, okay this does do something you know it, it's not just anecdotal yeah. there is physical hard evidence that I can see That's on right. the picture where this changes the we, we, the shape of my brain yeah it's amazing it that we is. have that now <laughs> you it, know it is yeah and and that's the story of the last and actually, the only paper I ever I ever name check is uh, Farb et al., which I mm. seem to remember was kind of the first neuroscience of mindfulness paper back in something like 2007. Mm. You know, that that's where it kind of that side of things began, you know, mm-hmm. um, and the uh, and the evidence has just been building and building since then. And what's I think interesting as well is the amount of work now that's being done uh, in terms of uh, the insula. Uh, so we all know, don't we, that you know, one of the wonderful things about this beautiful thing that we do called mindfulness is the capacity for compassion for self and others, you know, mm-hmm. loving kindness, you know, all that really good stuff. And I find that even in a room full of skeptical lawyers, I can quite early signpost, in effect, loving kindness, <laughs> which is the stuff that in the Western tradition, we've notoriously ripped out of the curriculum mm-hmm. you know uh to the uh, often disgust of the eastern you know mindfulness um sensibility but actually when you can then say it's becoming increasingly clear in the neuroscience that the insula you know is activated with mm-hmm. mindfulness and it's the insula that governs empathy mm. it's like ah so there we go so suddenly it's like you offer a really essential part of mindfulness that people often recoil against because it's like, ooh, ew, ew, you know, mm-hmm. that sounds a bit like emotions, Ugh. you know, but you link it to neuroscience and it's like, oh, oh, right. Well, it's serious then. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, okay, now that I know that it's serious, I will start thinking about empathy and, and loving kindness mm. and compassion. Yeah. So I, I like that aspect of neuroscience as well. It helps me to kind of, you know, introduce topics that, mm-hmm. you know, I might otherwise leave very late in my teaching for fear of kickback from my, um, you know, my audience. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah no well I know that for me I was a, a, an incredible skeptic about all things mindfulness before well, I read that that first book and it was the science that really uh, really drew me in and you know my both my parents my are scientists and and um I suppose that there's that that upbringing of you know you want you want evidence kind of in some way don't you well you've had those you know, before we're gonna try it and yeah it so it really helped me to connect. I mean, and, and then the proof was in the pudding of actually practicing. Um, but That's it did right. help me to do it, you know. It yeah. convinced me that this wasn't all just airy-fairy kind of it, ex- stuff. Exactly. It, yeah. Well, and I'm going to finish. <laughs> I, I always sense that you hesitated <laughs> saying airy-fairy nonsense. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure that's what you wanted to say, but you kind of stopped yourself. I'm sure of it. And but uh, but that is like that. And seriously, that's that's one of the themes that came out in my research. It's like mm-hmm. this big part of the population. I'm not at all convinced it's restricted to lawyers. No, um, no. who think it's airy-fairy nonsense, and and people joke about us. You know, 
Oh, you're going to do mindfulness, you know, and then they, and they do this, this weird thing, don't they? Oh, um, and they start doing like this. It's like, where did the humming come from? Well, I don't know. I just assume that you sit there in a lotus position humming. Well, some people, some people might do. I don't know, but I don't, um, you know, and yeah. Um, yeah. Good old neuroscience, I say. Yeah. Fascinating. Um, <laughs> so I'd love to kind of end on a question um, mm. of what inspires you to keep practicing mindfulness? What helps yeah. you to, what, what is your inspiration to keep going with it over these years? Yeah, I, so I, I did sit down and connect with this question because <clears throat> I mean, immediate, I mean, there are three aspects of it. Um, one is how I feel when I do it. Mm -hmm. And that includes how I feel when I do it over a period of time. So it's like practice by practice, but also week by week. Mm -hmm. yeah, so, so if I have a week or two where I'm really connected with my practice, I'm not necessarily doing long practice by the way you know that's one of the things i'm exploring at the moment is mm -hmm. uh, i'm having a real difficulty protecting the time for like a 45 minute body scan for example yeah. i'm really i'm really yeah. struggling with that you know yeah yeah, um, yeah. Uh, but but i do I, but my practice when i do it it i just feel and what did i write down it, these are these are the words that i wrote down just instinctively and it was calm grounded and spacious mm. which i don't offer those as new ideas i mean that's kind of it isn't it <laughs> that's kind yeah. of what we sell um and that's how i feel and then conversely how do i feel when i don't mm. um and connecting with that because yeah there are times when i disconnect from my practice mm -hmm. you know and it's that whole stuff about, well, maybe I can get away without practicing. Yes. You know, and then one practice slips and then it's one day and then it's two days and then mm -hmm. it's three and then it's a week. And then what I notice is how I feel, which is more frustrated, more reactive, less nice. You know, I'm less nice when I don't practice mindfulness. Yeah. Um. You know, I'm I'm more argumentative. I I pick fights more. You know, I, you know, and I don't, I don't like that about I don't like that about myself. Um, mm. But when I when I practice, I tend to find that that happens less often. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing that inspires me is my teaching. Yeah. Thank God that I, I've got. You know, I'm so, in a, such a privileged position to be able to teach it because sometimes when the wheels are falling off the bus with my mindfulness practice. I'll know that I've got some teaching over the horizon mm -hmm. and it's like, well, listen, for you to do this authentically, mate, you need yeah. to, re you need to reconnect with your practice for you. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. by reconnecting it for you, then you can, you know, yeah. really walk the walk with your participants. And so, yeah, teaching inspires me mm -hmm. um, always. Um, yes. Yeah. <laughs> thank you so much for your honesty and I think it's so important to for us as, as, as teachers as practitioners in normal everyday life with jobs and families and you know all of what life can be um to be honest about the times that yeah with sometimes practice does slip away yeah but actually the value in that and seeing what happens yeah. when we're not practicing yeah it can then re-inspire us to reconnect and it, it, yeah I really resonate with that and yeah I know there's been many times since I started practicing mindfulness where it is it has slipped away for whatever reason you know or for many many different reasons and and yeah just seeing that I'm not as calm <laughs> I am more reactive oh yeah this works um, yeah that that is really valuable in itself yeah there um, are t oh wow absolutely and mm. that's what it's about and that's where suddenly it gets back down to the the subjective experiential mm -hmm. experience yeah i don't need a paper 
I don't need a neuro. I don't need a neuroscience no. paper to tell me how I feel. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally agree, and that's why this this practice has been around for thousands of years right. before it was studied. Right so in the kind of the modern scientific way, yeah. um, with papers and studies and all that kind of thing. Um, why it stood the test of time, but how wonderful it is that we we have you know we we have people like you and fantastic scientists studying it and and finding this research that really solidly backs it up i think yeah. it's wonderful and we need both yeah and that's a subjective um experience that that i know we've this podcast has been a lot about discussing mm. but also i love the science is so good too <laughs> so i'm so glad that you could bring some of that in today um so yeah oh it's been such a treat um it has chatting to you Paolo and um and yeah I look forward to hearing more of your adventures in mindfulness to come over the years oh well so... I'll keep you I'll, and likewise Katie um mm. I look forward to, to seeing your journey evolve as well and uh yeah well and well done on this stuff that you're doing it's amazing so good work thanks so much <laughs> thanks okay bye bye <laughs> Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Meditation Inspiration. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd invite you to share it with your friends, family and colleagues so they can benefit from these conversations too. And if you would like to leave a review, I'd love to hear your feedback or you could pop me a message and I can pass that on to our interviewees too. And it also really helps if you pop a rating um, and follow and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Um, it really helps to get the podcast found by more people out there. Thanks so much for listening again and see you soon.